This is Illinois Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Coming up, we'll review the week's top stories about the governor's COVID-19 reopening plan, legislative maps, and the status of firearm owner identification cards and more. We'll also get commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb about the next phase of the governor's plan, the tracking of COVID-related deaths, and the state's continued unemployment problems. That's ahead with Illinois in Focus, powered by TheCenterSquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Hi, this is Chris Krug, publisher of The Center Square. Our team produces the nationally read and recognized news stories at thecentersquare.com, the country's fastest-growing, nonprofit, nonpartisan, state-focused news and information site. We deliver essential Illinois news and information with a taxpayer sensibility through reporting that's easy to understand and easy to share with your friends and family. We know that you want to get a quick update on what's happening at the state capitol in Springfield and across the state. Our team writes short, impactful stories that help all Illinoisans understand what's going on in their home state. We know that you need information that allows you to understand what the governor and your local legislators are doing. Our team covers government and the activity of elected officials so you can make sense of how their activity affects you and your family and your future here in Illinois. We know Illinois because we live in Illinois. Get the news that you need to know at thecentersquare.com. That's thecentersquare.com. Thecentersquare.com. This is Illinois in Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. Here's some of the top stories from the past week. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker gave his long-awaited details on when the state would finally have COVID-19 restrictions lifted, but the requirements could be difficult to meet. Cole Lauterbach has more. Pritzker took a forward-looking tone Thursday morning in Chicago. It's time to begin to cautiously move toward normalcy, and it's imperative that we do so in a way that maintains all the progress that we've made to date. He said the state will begin to, quote, turn the dial towards lifting the last of his COVID-19 business restrictions, but not until 70% of the state's over 65 population is vaccinated. I'm optimistic about reaching that milestone because as of this morning, that number is 58%. Over the weekend, Republican pollster Frank Luntz held a focus group that found 42% of Republicans say they, quote, probably or definitely will not get the shot, and, quote, compared with 17% of Democrats. I'm Cole Lauterbach. The governor says his bridge to a full reopen is based on conversations with health experts and industry groups. Others say it doesn't go far enough. The multifaceted plan allows minor increases in economic activity when 70% of people 65 and older get vaccinated. But if COVID-19 metrics increase, restrictions could come back. Republican State Representative Patrick Windhorst said the governor is not leading. Many people where I'm coming from are just simply ignoring it. And that's what we've seen throughout this is the governor is by taking the stances he has, is not actually leading us. He is actually behind where the people are. Democratic State Representative Jamie Andrade said restaurants in his area are opening more and people are ready to go out. And I understand it's, you know, people are, it's life or death situation, but I, I think we're we're in now at, at the point in time that I, I think we should take a little more risk. Pritzker said he talked with health experts and industry leaders. The Illinois Restaurant Association and Illinois Hotel and Lodging Association said in a joint statement with the governor, the plan provides clarity and takes steps towards recovery. But Andrade said the governor's office didn't seek input from his office. They have reached out to us, uh, but it's more of a role of here's what we're going to do instead of what works best for your district. Windhorse said lawmakers need to step up 
and provide a check on the governor's authority to issue consecutive orders, as he's done for the past 12 months. A year into the COVID-19 pandemic, state data shows nearly 21,000 COVID-19 deaths. CDC data indicates fewer than 10% were the result of COVID-19 by itself. Most had additional causes. A county coroner is calling for a full audit. Through the end of February, the CDC lists 19,893 deaths in Illinois were COVID-19, among other causes. Of that, about 1,830 deaths, or 9.2%, COVID was the only cause of death listed. Some have raised concerns. The numbers the state's reporting are inflated. Governor J.B. Pritzker said the state's been in an emergency. There's no desire on anybody's part to record more or less deaths. Uh, there's just a, a, a need to record what's being you know, given to us as data from the counties. Monroe County Coroner Bob Hill called for an audit saying 10 of the 100 deaths in his county the state reported as COVID-19 weren't COVID-19 deaths. We're seeing people on the list that they've put as a COVID death that have tested positive nine months ago um, that, have, that have since recovered and have um, died from other other issues uh, unrelated to COVID. He called for a full audit of the COVID-19 related deaths the state's been reporting. Don't automatically put a statistic out there of a death when it hasn't been confirmed what the cause is. Pritzker said there will be second guessing of the data. All these numbers, look, we've been in an emergency. We've been in a pandemic. Everybody is trying to do the best they can. The state's public health department said as it further investigates, its data may change. The first of more than a dozen hearings about redrawing Illinois' legislative maps is in the books. More hearings are expected from the House and Senate in the days and weeks ahead, including virtual hearings to take public comments from around the state. There's a June 30th deadline for the legislature to draft a map, but full data from the census isn't expected by then. That's been delayed because of the pandemic. The Illinois Department of Employment Security is looking for more spending authority for offices that haven't been open to the public for nearly a year. IDES Acting Director Kristen Richards requested a $450 million budget that includes a $134 million increase in federal spending over the previous fiscal year. She said that it'll help with continued workload during the pandemic. She said the department has around 104,000 backlogged items to deal with. We've seen roughly 9,800 calls coming into the call center on a daily basis, uh, but we are completing just under 13,000 calls per day. Richard said hundreds more contracted operators are expected to be hired. She still wouldn't say when they'll reopen their offices around the state to address issues in person. Though Richard said the department's set to spend more on setting up virtual appointments. Reports from other states where they have lines waiting outside of unemployment offices of eight to 10 hours, and, and we, we do not want to do that. And so I think if uh, virtual appointments, uh, appointment setting is a solution, then it's certainly something we're going to explore. She said the department Thursday will provide the Employment Security Advisory Board an update on the state's unemployment trust fund. Federal data shows the state's outstanding borrowed balance is more than $4 billion. Illinois State Police Director Brendan Kelly said the backlog of gun owner licenses is, quote, absolutely unacceptable and the department's doing what it can. Expired FOID cards remain valid under emergency rules state police filed, but Thursday in Springfield, Kelly said the delays are, quote, absolutely unacceptable. And, and they can't be tolerated. Uh, these are uh, important legal issues. Uh, these are important public safety issues, and we have to get to a system that is, uh, you know, easy and simple and straightforward for the good guys and makes it very hard for the bad guys uh, to, to get a gun. 
To those who criticize state police still cashing checks for FOID cards, Kelly understands there needs to be modernization, he said. Some huge chunks of that process were at the cusp of being able to automate some of those things and really improve that turnaround time. So that's where those funds are going. But their complaint uh, is understandable. The complaint is well-founded. Uh, we should be able to turn these things around within the statutory time frame, uh, and, and we have to get that done. State police data shows new FOID applications are taking an average nearly 120 days when it's supposed to take weeks. Stories continue to mount of people who've applied for a firearm owner identification card waiting more than a year. Democratic State Representative Kathleen Willis said something has to be done to shore up the backlog, which is taking months longer than the law allows. Contrary to what many people think, I do respect the rights of law-abiding gun owners, and I think that we need to up our game and get it where it needs to be. And I hope that we can have some sense of normalcy and get that back in place soon. Willis had pushed for increasing FOID fees, but that measure failed to pass last year. Republican State Representative Dan Calkin said the Democratic majority doesn't get it. It's going to take the courts. You know, we did this once on concealed carry and it, and it didn't go their way. So I'd hope that they would see the handwriting on the wall, come around to the realization that this process isn't working and we need to refine it or actually we really need to get rid of the void card. There are more than a dozen lawsuits against the state's gun licensing scheme working through the courts. Illinois' treasurers asking the nation's top money managers not to donate to Republicans who objected to the outcome of the 2020 election. A critic says the treasurer is using taxpayer funds as a political bludgeon. Treasurer Michael Frerichs defended signing a letter with others who manage public funds to the tune of $1 trillion, asking the nation's top money managers to refrain from donating to 147 congressmen, all Republicans, who objected to the certification of the 2020 election results January 6th. Oh, there are a variety of people pushing um, lies about government, lies about our elections, destroying trust in our government, destroying trust in that process, which is destabilizing to our country. Asked if he'd urge the money managers to not fund Democrats who contested President Donald Trump's election in 2017, Frerichs responded. In 2017, there were peaceful protests. There were not riots, there were not attacks on our state's capital, our nation's capital. WirePoint's founder, Mark Glennon, said there was violence across the country over the past four years and Democratic officials fueled skepticism of the 2016 outcome. He said Frerichs' letter is a veiled political threat using taxpayer resources. We all know that, that there's too much money in politics, but this is an attempt by partisans to control that money, to force it only into their own coffers. Glennon said it seems designed to leverage taxpayer resources to chill political speech supporting Republicans. It's nakedly partisan, and it's an attempt to force corporations to not make political contributions to them and to them alone. Farrick signed on to the letter with other managers of public funds of more than $1 trillion in potential investments. It's not just the news that have found the COVID-19 pandemic to be a hindrance in getting public information out of government offices. Some at the Illinois State House are also having problems. During a National Press Club forum to open up Sunshine Week, the week media used to highlight freedom of information laws, CQ roll call writer John Donnelly said he used to be able to call government offices for guidance on where to look for valued public information. I have found, unfortunately, during the pandemic, that making that call is not that no, no one answers a lot of times because they're not in the office. In Illinois, State Senator Terry Bryant complained without filing a Freedom of Information Act request, she couldn't get information from the Pritzker administration about COVID vaccination schedules in the state's prisons. The place where I know everyone and in fact can get just about any information that I want secretly 
why can I not get a copy of which institutions he's doing on which dates? Why is that secret? The Department of Corrections said in a statement, for safety and security purposes, IDOC's vaccination schedule is not being publicly released. Those are the top stories from the past week for Illinois. Find more online at thecentersquare.com. Coming up for Illinois Focus, commentary from the Center Square publisher Chris Krug and executive editor Dan McCaleb. This is Illinois Focus, powered by thecentersquare.com. I'm Greg Bishop. everyone and welcome back to Illinois and Focus's crosstalk segment. I'm Chris Krug, publisher of the Center Square, based here in beautiful Chicago, Illinois. Joined by my friend and colleague Dan McCaleb, the executive editor of the Center Square. Dan, welcome back. Hey, glad to be back. Sorry for the uh, <clears throat> the week out. Lots of news as usual to talk about today. Looking forward to it. Let's let's hop right into it. I mean, we're taping this on Thursday afternoon. And news out of Chicago today from Governor J.B. Pritzker says that the state's going to push toward reopening. Well, I think a lot of people are saying, what took you so long? What's going on here, Dan? So he's saying the state's pushing towards reopening, but there's no exact time frame, uh, of course. I'm calling it a bridge. We're currently in phase four of his five-phase reopening plan, with phase five being kind of sort of back to normal, no limits on capacity or anything like that. Mm -hmm. This bridge between phase four and phase five will kick in when 70% of residents 65 years of age and older in the state have had at least one dose of the vaccine. So okay. that's why there's some confusion right now about the timeline on it. He said as of today, as of Thursday, March 18th, happy belated St. Patrick's Day, by the way, 58% of adults over the age of 65 um, have received at least one dose of the vaccine. We have to get to 70% to get to that bridge between phase four uh, and phase five. So there's no definitive date on when that will happen. If you're 65 and older, please go out and get your, your vaccine if you haven't already. I know it's been difficult getting one scheduled, but uh, keep trying, please. Um, and what uh, the bridge means is essentially a slight increase in capacity um, at various public venues. For example, dining, uh, which currently is limited to the restaurants are current, currently uh, limited parties of 10 or fewer uh, standing areas have a 25% capacity. Um, parties would still be limited to 10 or fewer, but standing areas would have a 30% capacity in the bridge. Um, indoors and outdoors, there would be a 50% um, capacity. Health and fitness centers would go from a 50% capacity to a 60% capacity. So you can see very slight, yeah. slight increases. Yeah. Why do we need? Why do we need a bridge, Dan? I mean, um, you know, if the the plan was thoughtful, uh, and I and I said I did use the word if there if the if the plan was thoughtful, um, and you know ultimately was leading you know uh, people in Illinois to the final destination, which is in theory something resembling normal. Uh, why do we need a bridge? Uh, if you ask Governor Pritzker, it's because the virus is still out there and it's still deadly, even though numbers are dropping and have been dropping for uh, weeks. 
upon weeks now. You know, he's relying on the science and the data as he has been since day one, he says, um, to determine when Illinoisans will be uh, able to to return to life, life back to normal. He did say, too, one thing that was interesting today was he did say even if we do get to phase five, which is at some point beyond um, the bridge, um, you know, masks are still going to be required unless, unless the CDC says they're no longer uh, necessary. So normal is not even going to be the case in phase five. There's still a lot of uncertainty about the time frame. What these capacity increases during the bridge are going to really mean it's welcome, I'm sure, by restaurants and and hotels and 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 uh, other service industries, um, but it's not that big of a difference. So I, I, I would say almost not at all. I mean, and and you know, with regard to capacities, I mean, so you know, sixty percent. You know, let's say my restaurant has uh, ten tables in it, and, and you know, I, I mean, and you know, not every restaurant. Um, you know, in the state of Illinois is, you know, 3000 square foot, you know, venue. I mean, um, some of them are just in line, you know, typical inline restaurant at a, at a strip mall, would probably be 1500, um, have, you know, maybe, uh, 10, 10 to 15 tables at it. Let's say it has 10. So now instead of having five tables that are available to you, uh, you, you could have six. I would imagine that, that there's still, you know, with regard to the six foot social distancing, a move from um, five tables to six tables in, in uh, the spaces that, you know, again, I mean, just looking at this pragmatically, like a practical application, because we can throw numbers around. Yeah, you go from 50 to 60. Wow, it's like we're opening things up. I'm not even sure that that matters. Um, I think that there's, a, you know, there's there's been a growing number of people, um, even the, the, the people who have defended uh, Governor Pritzker and his, you know, safety mitigations, that are just kind of like at the, you know, kind of at the end of the line with this is, is his overall popularity uh, rating is, uh, is down. His approval rate, I should say, is down um, below 30% in some polls that I've seen. Uh, I just don't see what the bridge solves. It's almost like a forestalling. Um, uh, Dr. Zike, you know, spoke at the same news conference today, articulated something that any of us could see if we just went and t- took a look at the actual IDPH data, which we'll talk about in, in, in more detail in just a moment. But um, the the now that the the current death rate is at two two, the number two, like hold up one finger and then two fingers, two per million, at this point. Yeah, it's more as we've known really since almost the beginning of this thing. And keep in mind too, we, we are now a full year into these mitigation efforts. It is March eighteenth today, as we said, we are a full year um, into these restrictions on everybody. Um, But as we've known from almost the beginning, um, this disease, the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, has a much bigger effect on older uh, older Americans, older citizens. Um, Older citizens were the first ones to start getting vaccinated. what, the, what was the number I used? 58, 58% of people over the age of 65 have been vaccinated already. Mm-hmm. Of course, those de- those uh, fatality rates are going to start coming down. The, the ones who are most vulnerable have are getting vaccinated, have been vaccinated um, already. Um, we should be more quickly opening the economy so we can at least start the process 
of, of getting our economy back to where it was. Um, still tens of thousands of people are filing new unemployment claims each, each week because of these restrictions. The financial damage um, of this, he doesn't talk about that as much as he does. He talks about the other things. The financial damage of the restrictions that have put in place been put in place to slow the spread of COVID-19 are enormous. And it's going to take much longer than a year to get beyond those. We need to get on that path immediately. I'm not going to disagree with you at all. Um, interesting uh, revelation uh, this past week. And um, uh, we're going to lead on producer John here to play a tape. But let me set this up. We're going to have two voices coming on. You're going to have you're going to hear from uh, Monroe County Coroner Bob Hill first. And then you're going to hear from uh, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. This is tape from Wednesday, and the context of this is that Coroner Hill is saying that the IDPH's uh, COVID-related death count numbers, uh, as at least as far as it goes with his county, they're off, they're overinflated. John, hit the tape. We had a case in uh, January here where we had, we had someone um, die. The cause of death was due to an accidental drug overdose. The, the decedent had tested positive for COVID back in October. Um, as soon as that death came across uh, to the state, they went ahead and classified it and put a statistic as a COVID death. Um, so my concern is, you know, I've reviewed several cases, um, about 10 of them here in Monroe County, and uh, that state is deemed COVID-related deaths, and uh, none of them have had underlying conditions or a contributing factor to COVID. All these numbers, look, we've been in an emergency. We've been in a pandemic. Everybody is trying to do the best they can. There's no desire on anybody's part to record more or less deaths. Uh, there's just a, a, a need to record what's being you know, given to us as data from the counties. And then, you know, and then everybody can see what that is. And I'm sure over time, uh, as we get past this pandemic, people are going to want to look back and see, well, how were they recorded? Uh, you know, and did did they do a good job in his county, for example? And, and and then he further goes on to say, and I'm and by he I mean Governor Pritzker goes on to say uh, to uh, Bob Hill, and I'm paraphrasing, um, why don't you do your job right, and uh, the state will get its numbers right. So, um, this is a disaster. I mean, that you know, the metric aspect of this is, has been you know questionable from the beginning. Uh, you know, as we were talking about earlier today on a budget call, you know, talking about, you know, sort of the news of the day as the reporters were heading out um, to go out and, and gather news. You know, it was in the first week or so of the pandemic in 2020 that Dr. Azike had reported that a um, an infant had um, had uh, died and and uh, as a consequence of, of COVID. That number has since been you know eliminated from the record. Um, we have not done a very good job uh, with, and I'm putting air quotes around it, the data. Uh, and in this grand equation of the science and the data, um, some of the science has been questionable. And I think right now, you know, is, is, uh, is a terrific time when you're in here to question the data. Yeah, let me just let me just go back and, and for, for the sake of time, we had to we had to cut those clips down into shorter bites. But just to make sure, you know, our, our listeners are clear, uh, essentially what Monroe County Coroner Bob Hill was saying is that he classifies a, a, a person in Monroe County 
um, died of an accidental drug overdose in January. They classified it as an accidental drug overdose. The data got to the state, and because this person happened to have tested positive for COVID-19 in October, they died in January of a drug overdose. Um, they were um, diagnosed with COVID-19 in October, uh, at least three months earlier. The state decided to list it as a COVID death. Uh, the coroner, uh, Bob Hill, said he's found at least 10 similar such category categorizations by the state of people who he did not classify as COVID-19 deaths, who they decided to, because they had tested positive of COVID-19 at some point in the past, decided to list those as COVID-19 deaths. That's 10 of about 100 uh, uh, deaths that he that he uh, investigated in his county, that he audited in his county. So, I mean, that's a 10% overcount. Um, yeah. and, there, and there's, and there's a, there's an, there's a problem there because you, you're, you know, people don't have the time, you know, the average citizen does not have the time to become an amateur, uh, statistician and to pull the, the numbers apart. They hear the headlines, um, you know, uh, on, on television, um, they read the headlines in newspapers that, you know, frankly don't fairly or, or accurately summarize, you know, the facts and and they they are led to believe something that it is 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 not true. I mean, the the I mean the Centers for Disease Control, right? Okay, they've listed in Illinois just under twenty thousand COVID related deaths through the end of February, nineteen thousand eight hundred and ninety three. Okay, so of those deaths, eighteen hundred and thirty or nine point two percent of the deaths, not nine point two percent of the population. Not 9.2% of people that get COVID. 9.2% of those deaths had COVID alone listed uh, on their death certificates as the cause of death. So, so this is the problem that we're facing here. I mean, with regard to, to the way that the public is still being fed this story and the way that people are processing it. And, you know, is it is it intellectually lazy media? Is it deceptive or intentionally vague uh, public health uh, information conveyance. I mean, regardless, I mean, look, COVID's real. People do die. People died from COVID. I mean, there's just no doubt about it. Okay. Uh, the percentage of which I think if you walked around and you asked, you know, if we took the time in masks, six feet away, walked around and asked a hundred people, uh, on the street randomly, you know, and we offered them statistical levels to guess at, you know, uh, what impact COVID has had specifically. I, I don't think that anybody would guess 9.2%. And that's CDC. So if we're following the science and the data, CDC would be the grand keeper of that in the United States. And these numbers just don't, I don't think they resonate with the people at all. And let's going back to that 9% figure of the CDCs and the states, COVID listed deaths, 9%, nine, only 9% of them had COVID only. That means the other 91% had other comorbidities, could be heart disease, could be lung disease, could be just old age, could be um, diabetes, could be any number of things. And what's unclear through the data is what was the main cause of the death? Could the main cause of the death been heart disease or lung disease? Was the person already, you know, you know nearing that stage? And that, that's what's confusing about the numbers. And that's what, you know, Governor Pritzker's office and what the CDC and what most others across the country haven't done a good job of explaining uh, to American citizens.
Yeah. I mean, and here in Illinois, I mean, you know, obviously Governor J.B. Pritzker doesn't have the influence outside of the state of Illinois that I'm aware of. Uh, neither does Dr. Azike. Um, you know, I mean, I think that we all sort of, you know, as Americans have been conditioned to to look to uh, Dr. Fauci uh, to, to be sort of a, um, you know, uh, an authority in this space. And, I, and you know, what, what kind of job has he done in, in making this demystified? I don't feel like he has taken nearly enough criticism um, for just being ambiguous. And, uh, and, and to be honest with you, it's, that's not going to resolve itself. Not, not in the Biden administration. I do want to, I do want to go back to that clip that we just played uh, of the governor Pritzker's portion of the clip that was in a news conference this week. Um, I want to give a shout out to Illinois radio networks and the center squares, Greg Bishop, um, who presented uh, the, the Monroe County corner, Bob Hills, um, argument and statement to the governor at that news conference and ask the governor that question. How do you how do you respond to to folks like Corner Bob Hill? And then I also want to say too uh, to follow up the Illinois Radio Network in the Center Square um, are following up with coroners across the state to see if they've conducted similar audits to what um, Monroe County Coroner Bob Hill did to see if they have any similar type of discrepancies between what they've reported in terms of uh, COVID deaths or non-COVID deaths and what the state is reporting as COVID deaths. And we'll be reporting on that in the future. I appreciate that. It's good work. Um, Dan, we'll keep it in the state. This is a little bit inside baseball, but I think this is an important and certainly an underreported story. Uh, Illinois Treasurer Mike Frerichs uh, is among a group of treasurers from around the United States that's asking the nation's top money managers not to donate to Republicans who objected to the certification of the 2020 election results. And this is resonating uh, quite clearly as um, an attempt to suppress. What's the, I mean, what's the story here? Can, can we make this in some way um, understandable to the general public as to what, what's really going on here? Yeah, so Illinois state government, like local governments state and state governments across the country, you know, they take the tax, taxpayer dollars in and um, the taxpayer dollars that aren't needed immediately to pay for services or whatever, they invest them. Um, they invest them into, into, into various stocks and bonds and things like that. Um, and they, they, of course, go through banks such as Chase Bank and, and other uh, invest, investment firms. And this was a letter to, to those uh, agents who invest our money, taxpayer money, the state of Illinois' uh, money. And it was a letter saying, hey, uh, you, sh- you better not be donating to Republican members of Congress uh, who challenged the 2020 election results. It was essentially a veiled threat. If you want us to invest with you, if you want to earn money off of our taxpayers' dollars, you should stop um, supporting Republican members of Congress who challenged the election. It's very political. Um, it's, in my mind, unethical. It should not have been done. It should not be being done. Um, uh, these money managers know what they're doing, um, and to threaten politics with them is just not right. Yeah, no, I mean, and yeah, I, I agree with that. You're not going to get any crosstalk from me on that. I would add to that, how dare you? I mean, you know, I mean, the 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 politic the, the the politicizing of virtually everything, everywhere, now is just it's obscene, 
And, and, and I would say, let's just, let's just, let's crumple that, this piece of paper up and just throw that in the trash basket as well. I mean, my goodness, it's, it's just, it, it, when does this come to an end? The, um, um, Staying inside of Illinois, I mean, um, with regard to, you know, just things that would be of interest to the state as a whole. uh, If you have attempted to file and Dan, you started talking about unemployment, you know, in in segment one. Right. If you have attempted to go to a local IDES, the Illinois Department of Employment Securities Office, you may have noticed they are still not open. They are not at 25 percent capacity or 50 percent capacity. We're at 60% capacity. They're at 0% capacity. And we still have, you know, what amounts to be an unmitigated train wreck happening there at, at, you know, at IDES. Um, Beyond that, what's the funding aspect of this that seems to be snagged now? Despite having the, their offices closed now for a year, uh, of course, you, we've heard horror stories from folks who, unfortunately, they because of in large part because of COVID-19 restrictions, their local businesses had to lay them off um, because of these capacity limits or because they were they were deemed non-essential by a single uh, elected official. Um, uh, they couldn't bring in the revenue to pay their employees. So that certainly spiked uh, unemployment. Um uh, despite that, the IDES, the Illinois Department of Employment Security, closed its offices uh, and have been closed for more than a year. But they went before a legislative committee this week and they asked for a $134 million funding increase over their last budget request. Now, that, that begs the question, if people now obviously they're answering phones and they're they're answering some phone calls, there's still 104,000 backlog of, of uh, customer complaints that they're still still dealing with. They're asking for a significant amount of more money. Um, and that's been the problem in this state for decades. Um, uh, state departments, state offices, not learning how to live within their means, looking for more handouts. Um, and that's why we're in the fiscal mess we're in. It's a, it's a, it's absolute bananas. You know, it's a hundred and, What's the number of, of back claims? 104,000? 104,000. Okay. All right. So, I mean, just for perspective's sake, I mean, that's roughly the size of the city of Peoria. Every man, woman, and child in the, in the city limits of Peoria. Um, yeah, that's, 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 really, that's really great. Uh, I wonder that, that, why we have deficits every single year. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's the, the ineffectiveness and the inefficiency of this. And, you know, we, we heard this story at the very beginning well, IDS was in terrible shape when we took it over. Ah, you know, I don't know. I'm 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 not sure. I mean, it's not as if we don't spend money in state government here in Illinois. Um, but you know, having the money and spending it properly, you know, um, those are two different things. They're in fact they're they're very different things. They're they're very different things. We've we've got drunk uncle spending in the in the state of Illinois that goes back uh, uh, decades. Is that fair to say? Decades, yes, at least easily. Of course, and they've had a year, a year. We've been doing this for a year now, and they still can't get it right. And what they want more, they want to throw more money at the problem. Dan, why the rush? I mean, it's a, a year. It's only a year where people, some people have been, have been, you know, unemployed and and can't get paid. And, and you know, and um, I mean, hey, maybe, maybe we just uh, uh, have another round of stimulus. Maybe they can just get by on the, you know, a $1,400 check and call it good. But then again, I guess, you know, um, let's make it, let's make it 2000. 
Uh, let's make it 10 million. Uh, let's see if people can get by on that. Um, not getting anywhere. So um, February was a pretty quiet month in the state legislature. Uh, in fact, I think they only had one, one day of session, maybe two total, something like that. Um, March, there's a little bit more activity. Uh, not a whole lot, you know, seems to be shaking out of the, out of the legislature. Um, people will be pleased to know that the state, though, is spending about twenty-one thousand dollars a week now to um, to uh, to test COVID test um, people that are going in and out uh, of the, the state capitol building and um, lawmakers so, and staff and and journalists really only because they're not allowing anybody else in. Right, some journalists. I mean, uh, we're not participating in that. Um, uh, you know, and that's 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 been Greg Bishop's personal choice, and and you know, the rest of our team as they go in and out. I mean, um, there is something uh, going on and this is house GOP's, uh, attempt, uh, to, to have like some say in government. They haven't had a lot of say in government, frankly, for a long time, not even during, for, you know, the, the rounder administration, you know, to be honest with you. Um, uh, they're calling it a reimagine Illinois. It's a, a, a four pillar platform. Those are my favorite, by the way, cause you know, you have three pillars on a platform, you know, you get the guy that's standing too far on that end that doesn't have the pillar on it, and the and the platform starts to tip. So you know, you got to have that fourth pillar. So uh, what's uh, what what are these pillars? And uh, let's hear about the platform. Sure. Well, perhaps emboldened by the departure of uh, longtime former House Speaker Michael Madigan, who wouldn't. He's gone. He's out. He's I didn't, see, I didn't see anything about that. Over over decades, uh, you know, he quashed Republican bills and Repu- Republican policy uh, requests before they could even get to a committee, uh, let alone get out of a committee for a, an actual vote on the house, full House. Perhaps emboldened by his departure and with the new House Speaker, Emanuel Chris Welsh, um, they came forward uh, this week um, to discuss their, as you mentioned, four-pillar platform. And uh, the, the four pillars are cor- uh, addressing corruption in the state. Uh, obviously, we've had this ongoing uh, federal corruption probe that's landed several lawmakers uh, in hot water and, and several lobbyists in hot water uh, and others. Uh, fiscal responsibility, of course, for decades, Illinois has spent more than it's brought in, uh, leading to, for example, uh, nearly $150 billion in pension debt, um, among other debt, um, creating jobs uh, during COVID-19 and even before COVID-19. But during COVID-19, we've been one of the most restrictive states um, in the country and our joblessness has gone up. So we need to create jobs. So that would be pillar three. And then ensuring public safety, I th- they, without mentioning Chicago, I think they had an eye towards Chicago and all of the violence, um, particularly the gun violence that's gone on there. So that's our four pillars, addressing corruption, um, becoming fiscally responsible, creating jobs, good paying jobs in the state and ensuring public safety in all of our communities. I'm just making a note of that. Corruption, jobs, public safety, and... Fiscal responsibility. Fiscal responsibility. Um, yeah, we're not very good at any of those. I mean, um, if they if they took on this, you know, this, uh, the, you know, this, this, this plan and, and they addressed these things, let me ask you this. You've lived in the state a long time. You and I both have lived in the state a long time. Uh, but we've also lived in other states where maybe they do things uh, a little bit better. Yeah differently as you can say but probably a little bit better which of those things would you take on first if it were if it were up to you if if dan you know dan mccaleb um who i'm not saying is is thinking about a run for governor i'm not floating that idea 
Well, that's okay, I'm not floating that idea. But I'm not, I'm not running for governor. I am announcing officially today that I am not running for governor. There's some buzz. There's some buzz about that. So you let's break. I mean? Let's break some news today. Formally announcing I am not running for governor of the state of Illinois. Yeah. You have zillions of people you know, listening to the Illinois and Focus podcast. They're going to be like, well, come on, man. You want know? you, you want to be my campaign uh, uh, advisor, manager? I feel like I already am at this point. I, and I'm advising you to rethink your decision not to run. Um, but what I mean, in all seriousness, what um, Dan's not running for governor. I mean, no. he's, he's first of all, he's, he's too smart. He's too good looking. Um, you know, too, 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 too face for radio. Well, so anyway, of those four things, which would be the one that you'd take on first, and why? You know, that's that's tough because they're they're all so pressing needs right now, right? I mean, um, I guess fiscal responsibility, creating. How, how do you ignore any single one of those things? It's a surprise that Democrats haven't jumped on board with Republicans and said, "Yeah, we have to address all four of these things." Why is this? Why is this a partisan issue or a partisan platform when addressing corruption should we not end corruption in the state of Illinois? Should not we we not be fiscally responsible? Should we not do everything we can to try and create more and better jobs so we can increase our tax base? Um, should, do, do our citizens not deserve to live in safe communities? How, how do you rank those? I don't. I, I'm sorry you put me on the spot. I'm not answering your question. Um, um, but it's because I can't. They're all all four of them are vital. Paid for by the people to elect Dan McCaleb. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> not really, not, not paid for by that. There are no people that are pushing to elect Dan McHale. No. I, I guess not even me. Um, all right. So I, 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 you know, it's, again, we're sort of off the cuff here. I, I would think if you fix corruption, that the other things are a lot, uh, there would be a pathway to accomplish the other things. There's an answer. <laughs> you were you were able to give a, a decent answer to that. I mean, I I mean, it, 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 wouldn't that make sense? I mean, can't, wouldn't you have to fix corruption first? I mean, wouldn't you wouldn't you have to root that out? Um, and I mean, corruption's you know, I mean, it's uh, all the things that can lead to corruption would have to be addressed in corruption. I mean, in like term limits. I mean, um, you know, uh, a broader open government. This is Sunshine Week, by the way. I wrote about that. You know, in the Sunday read uh, this past week. And get on that. You know, and um, I, I mean, if, you know, from a transparency standpoint, Illinois um, on a scale of one to 10 is like a minus eight. And so, I mean, you know, if, if people had a, a clear understanding of uh, where their tax dollars went, what their government was doing, you know, how the sausage got made, whether or not we're even making sausage. I think there's some questions as to whether in the state of Illinois that we're even making sausage. So, um, yeah, I mean, if, if you open government up to the extent that people, the average person, the person who's, you know, driving around in a, you know, an F-150 uh, or, uh, or uh, shuttling kids back and forth to uh, soccer practice in their masks or wherever it is that they might be able to, to take their kids now, you know, if you made it that much easier to understand and digest and, and participate in, uh, just from an, participating, understanding is a level of participation. Right. I mean, it's just just understanding what's going on is a level of participation. So people aren't guessing and saying, well, you know, the guys down at the bar said that, uh, you know, those guys. Are, yeah. No, no. I mean, it should be pretty easy for everybody. I mean, and, and to be honest with you, you pay for it. Why can't you see it? Um, so I would I would go with corruption. And um, yeah, beyond that, you know, um, I'm not going to argue with that, that one, but I, I'm also of the frame of mind that. Um, you need to be able to multitask 
And so why not try and deal with all of these things simultaneously? Is that a cop out? No, not really. I mean, no, I mean, and I think that, you know, that, uh, you know, I mean, as, as, you know, as your former campaign manager, you know, just having been hired and fired from the job in the last, like, I don't know, seven, eight minutes, I, I would, I would, I would advise you to maybe take them on one at a time, but you know, um, I don't think it's overly ambitious to go after the four things. I mean, you know, the, the job situation here in Illinois is dire. It's why people are leaving the jobs. There just aren't enough good jobs. Um, and the jobs that, you know, that are good and, and well-paid, um, they might not be in a place where you want to live Chicago, for example. Um, you know, and I mean, if I had a shuttle in and out of the city every single day to, to do my work, I'm I'm pretty sure I wouldn't do it. Um, not now, not while carjackings are up like a hundred and whatever percent over, you know, last year, you know, we don't talk about, um, you know, we do uh, have a solution for that though, in the legislature. Make everybody drive manual transmission cars. No, ban ban violent video games. Oh, we didn't even talk about that. You got to be kidding me. That is maybe the dumbest thing um, that I that I've heard. I mean, I, I'm I I I would imagine when the the word of that reached Tipper Gore's ears that she jumped up out of her chair or out of her chair and started to cheer. You know, it's like this is haven't we gone through this before? It seems like this comes up every few years. What we're talking about here, if you haven't heard it, there is a legislation or proposed legislation that's been filed uh, to ban of uh, uh, video games such as Grand Theft uh, Auto uh, in the state of Illinois. Um, and that's the solution. That's the legislative solution to all these carjackings that occur have occurred in Chicago. Well, and, 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 you know, and, and here's something that has nothing to do with the carjackings being up um, uh, around the state, but primarily in Chicago. Um, the people that are committing these crimes, the vast majority of them, the, the, you know, the very few crime, uh, the very few criminals that they've been able to catch in the act of this um, or, you know, to, to, to catch and, and, and link to the crimes charge with the crimes, they're school age kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what are school age kids not doing right now? They're not going Go, to school. Going to school. Right. So, you know, uh, you want to see what society looks like when it comes unwound. Yeah, don't you can just look, just look in the city of Chicago. Um, don't reopen the schools and grand theft auto. That's the answer. Yeah, right. Exactly right. And, you know, this is not being reported, you know, at all. Uh, I mean, really, at all. Um, everybody, I think, has paid any attention to anything that happened last year would be only too glad to tell you that uh, murder and mayhem in Chicago were at, you know, at new heights. Right. I mean, uh, not unprecedented, but recently new heights. OK, they're higher this year. They're higher. They're above last year. You know, we yeah. we had a we had a shooting uh, this past week in Chicago. Uh, horrible. Fifteen people. Yeah. Fifteen people shot. There's no end in sight. Sad, <sighs> crazy, all of the above. All right, done. Rant over. Uh, uh, podcast over. Dan, great to talk with you. Enjoyed. Hey, who you got in your NCA bracket that starts uh, on Friday? You got, got a couple of Illinois squads in there. Uh, you like any other chances? Well, you know, I can't bet on the University of Illinois because they're, you know, they're an Illinois team, which, you know, that, that kind of takes a little bit of the fun out of it for me. Loyola, I mean, that's kind of cool that they're in. I'm kind of rooting for Illinois. And, and I, you know, I, I really like the story, the Loyola story. I guess soft spot, Sister Jean, Loyola, love to see them advance. Absolutely for our friends, you know, um, Illini, alums across the state, 
Um, yeah, it'd be great to see Still them. Solid. I mean, it's, they're, they go in as a number one. That's pretty cool. That's that is nice. It's I don't know if it's a good thing or not a good thing. If they both win their first round games, they play each other in the second round. Yeah. So that means one of them will be eliminated heading into the Sweet Sixteen. I would like to, nice to have been seen them in different brackets, so maybe they both could make the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. Um, um, Loyal, of course, is not a number one seed, so uh, their chances are not as good as Illinois. But uh, I'll be pulling for both. It'd be nice to see them play each other. I think it'd be nice. This is about the time of the year that I dial into college basketball. I have, I could not make the investment in that this year, even you know, I mean, with the dearth of sports and dearth of things going on that would be in terms of entertainment. I just couldn't get there with college basketball. There's just too much stop and start for me. And um. Yeah, I mean, it'll be nice to it'll be nice to to see either one of those teams make its way through. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, Dan, always a pleasure. Uh, for Dan McCaleb, it's been Chris Krug. You've been listening to the Illinois and Focus podcast. Now over to Greg Bishop with a look at what the Center Square Illinois will be working on next week. Next week, both the Illinois House and Senate are scheduled to be in session in Springfield. There will also be plenty of virtual committee hearings. The team with the Center Square will monitor it all and bring you the latest at thecentersquare.com. This has been Illinois in Focus. For more Illinois stories and commentary online, visit thecentersquare.com. For the Center Square, I'm Greg Bishop.